When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What if I told you that the MLB had a team in the Emerald City before the Seattle Mariners? What if I told you that that franchise only lasted one season? So what went wrong? We're conducting an autopsy on the Seattle Pilots. Today on Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. Everybody and welcome back to another episode. I am, as always, your host, Jeff Lambert. Today, we are going to be talking about the Seattle Pilots in a continuing series that we started a couple of months ago called Baseball Team Autopsies. The purpose of these installments is to look at now-defunct MLB franchises and analyze what exactly went wrong. Now, some of these teams have taken on lives by moving to different cities and changing their name. Some of them just plain ended up dying and never coming back. And in this case, with the Seattle Pilots, we're looking at a team that existed for a very short amount of time that did take on another identity as time went on. But we're going to look at the first team that ever set foot professionally in Seattle. And I'm very excited to talk to you about the story because it's incredibly interesting to see what went wrong and also what we can learn from this for other clubs, you know, as time goes on, how they could avoid those same mistakes. And I think some clubs have learned from the story of the Seattle Pilots. So I hope you stick with me. I think it's going to be a great episode. Really quickly, I would recommend, I would uh, ask you to reach out to a friend. You know, we are in the throes of the beginning of a lockout here, but nevertheless, the baseball talk is going to continue here on this show. So if you have a friend that likes baseball, if you have someone that likes history, please tell them to tune into the show. Remember, we're on every platform where you are. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Stitcher. You can listen uh, right in a web browser by going to anchor.fm forward slash rounders. We're also on YouTube if you want to watch this visually. So all those links are right there in the description for you to be able to have access to. And remember, we started a premium version of the show, too. If you'd like to get this show without ads and you'd like additional access to our bonus weekly show called This Week in Baseball History, all you have to do is go to rounders.substack.com and sign up for the email newsletter. And every week you will get this episode in your inbox. And if you decide to become a financial supporter, like I said, you'll get an ad-free version of this and you'll get the bonus episode where we talk about weekly topics that are in the news related to baseball history, talking about what happened on these dates, really delve into how history comes alive during the current time, the current week that we're in. So I'd encourage you to check that out. I'm really excited. 2022 is going to be a great year for this show. We're going to keep expanding, but I can't do it without you. So please take a moment, Tech, uh, check out, sign up for the newsletter, consider becoming a premium subscriber. It would mean a lot to me. But uh, let's keep moving. Let's get to our show for today. 
discussing and dissecting the history of the Seattle Pilots. Travel back in time with me to the 1960s. Major League Baseball is supposedly doing better. We have TV viewership at an all-time high. We see the league expanding into new markets. They're pushing further west into the southwest, all the way to the west coast. Things are looking up, right? Well, if we do an analysis of the state of the MLB in the 1960s, there are some things that pop up as warning signs despite the expansion of the league. One of the biggest ones is we see increased competition and the challenging of baseball as the national pastime really starting to see some chipping on the edges of that really for the first time as we move into this decade. Uh, professional football is growing uh, very quickly in popularity, and we see that there is a renewed focus not only by baseball itself, but by baseball supporters, even in the halls of Congress, to try and maintain the sport as number one, America's pastime. And so there were things that started to take shape because of this uh, concern that baseball might start losing ground to other sports. Like I said, we had pro football really starting to chip into baseball's popularity and viewership. We see the NBA starting to get more popular, at least the ABA and the NBA merger, which is coming up. But professional basketball as a whole is starting to get more popular. We see that there are several uh, in interested parties, I guess you could say, around um, the country thinking about creating an, a rival to Major League Baseball called the Continental League, which was a real possibility in the 1960s. We talked about that briefly in our last installment of Baseball Team Autopsies, the Houston Colt 45s episode. If you'd like to hear a little bit more about the Continental League, which never took full shape but was another threat to Major League Baseball's uh, dominance, uh, check out that episode. I would highly recommend it. So, yeah, baseball is starting to really expand, but there is concern, and that's the push for the expansion. So we see the 1960s as a decade where Major League Baseball really, really grew. To give you an example, in 1961, we saw an expansion of the league to add three teams. We saw the Washington Senators, the Minnesota Twins, and the California Angels all come into the league. In 1962, we saw the Houston Colt 45s and the New York Mets come into the league. And then towards as we get towards the end of the 1960s, we saw that there was a plan in 1969 to unveil another two expansion teams, the Montreal Expos and the San Diego Padres. So it's a good time if you're interested in bringing sports to your city, especially if you're in the West Coast. So here we have Seattle, Seattle, the Emerald City. It's the third largest area, metropolitan area on the West Coast. And there is an interest in bringing a team there. It's a large area. You have a really rabid fan base. As a matter of fact, Seattle was one of the the best places to go if you were interested in seeing a really loyal fan base to baseball. And you may be asking yourself why there wasn't a pro team there. Well, Seattle had a long history before this of being uh, a baseball town. They had supported a team that was involved in the Pacific Coast League, a very popular independent league. So you had that independent baseball was popular. They also had a team called the Seattle Rainiers, which were also incredibly popular, had played in the city again since I believe 1919. I wish I had that in front of me, but they had been around for a long time. They had recently changed their name to the Seattle Angels because they had become a specific farm club for the incoming California Angels. 
but there was a lot of support there for a minor league slash independent team. And so that was another reason people were starting to look at Seattle as a place to start a new franchise. We saw overall that other clubs previous to this team we're going to talk about today, the Seattle Pilots, there were other clubs that had considered moving to Seattle earlier on in the 1960s. The Cleveland Indians in 1964 came really close to moving to Seattle. That deal fell through. The Philadelphia Athletics, who eventually became the Kansas City Athletics, also looked briefly at moving to Seattle, and that didn't work out. So we see, in addition to baseball expanding in the 1960s, we see that there's an interest in establishing a franchise in Seattle. So what was the, what was the reason why a club finally came to this city? It's an interesting story. It really is. And to see why it didn't work out, I think is even more important. But we always have to start our story at the beginning. Look at the main characters. So now that we know why baseball was expanding in the 1960s, and now that we know why Seattle was an interesting place or a uh, interesting perspective place to bring a team, let's look at who actually is responsible for doing that. So who brought baseball to Seattle? Well, it was a combination of three people. We had two brothers, Max and Dewey Soriano, and another gentleman named William Daly. So let's look at each of these three individually to see who they were, what were their motivations, and how did they work together to be able to make this happen. Well, let's start off with William Dewey, one of the brothers. William Dewey was actually a former pitcher for the Seattle Rainiers. He was the front man, one of the heads of an organization in Seattle called the Pacific Northwest Sports Incorporated organization, the PNSI, they were called. And they were actually a group that owned the Seattle Rainiers, the the minor league club that I mentioned that was already there in Seattle, which enjoyed incredible popularity with the local fan base. So he's already interested in baseball. They have a minor league presence. We see William really wanting to bring a pro-level team to the city. So he uses his sports group to be kind of the launching point for that. And he recruits his brother, Max. Max is a local attorney. He has a background in property and real estate law. So he brings him on board to be able to help with the, the logistical slash legal side of making this happen. So we have two brothers. We have Max and we have William Dewey together interested in bringing a club to Seattle. They're working together, but they know the big thing that they're short on is money. Where can they help get financing to be able to show the MLB that they have what's needed to be able to start a franchise in Seattle? And for that, they turn to a gentleman named William Daly. William Daly was actually the former owner of the Cleveland Indians. Remember the guy who almost decided to move the team to Seattle? Well, he had sold the team, but he had wanted to get back into Major League Baseball. And he saw an opportunity to do this by working with these two brothers, with these Dewey brothers, Max and Dewey Soriano, excuse me. So they're approached by the Soriano brothers. He's approached by the Soriano brothers and asked to invest in this venture. Now, we see that Daly, after some convincing, agrees. He wants to get involved again, like I said. And the deal was basically Dewey said, if you give us the money needed to be able to fund this venture, I will give you a 47% stake in my sports group. Pretty high amount. So that was the, the deal. You get a 47% share that makes you the majority stakeholder 
in this franchise if you decide to support it. So William Daly decides, yeah, I think this is a great opportunity. I will front the money, and in exchange, I want to be the majority shareholder. Now, keep this in mind because this is really important later on in the story. So we see Daly. He's invested his money. They have what they need to go to the MLB and request permission to launch an expansion team. Now, on a side note, just a small side note, there was one thing that had to be cleared up, and that was the fact that the sports group that we saw that Dewey Soriano ran, their main club was the Seattle Rainers, and the Rainiers were going to have to disband in order to make way for this new Seattle expansion team. So William Daly, the principal financier of this, agreed to give the sports group and Dewey $1 million to compensate them for the loss of this club that they already had, this AAA club. So you see, the team that was really popular in Seattle is now going to cease to exist once this expansion team comes in. Also keep that in mind as we go. So here we have the ownership group coming together. We have Max, we have Dewey, and we have William together. They form this ownership group. They go to the MLB. They make their request. It is agreed upon by the MLB. They they agree with the pitch. William Daly is named chairman of the board of this group that's going to oversee it. Dewey Soriano is named the team president. The MLB sets a date for this new expansion team to come into existence in 1971. Keep this in mind. Now, in 1971, that would have been the same year that there was another expansion team that was going to start, and that was going to be a team from Kansas City. So that's the plan. Baseball is continuing to expand. Like I said, in 1969, the Expos and the Padres are scheduled to come in. We had already seen the Colt 45s, the Mets, the Senators, the Twins, the Angels, all new teams in the 1960s. 1971, scheduled for another expansion. And this time, it's going to be the Kansas City group, and it's going to be the Seattle group. Sounds great, right? This was kind of the high point, unfortunately, for this dream to bring a successful franchise to Seattle. There were really three things that caused this experiment to fail. And we're going to look at each of these three. So the three main factors that I present to you as to why it didn't work for this first Seattle group, this first Seattle team, they were a victim of powerful politics. And I'm going to explain why in a bit. Reason number one. Reason number two, why it didn't work out for the Seattle Pilots, there was an incredible amount of chaos around where they were going to play and the building of a new stadium. And reason number three, why this didn't work out for the Seattle Pilots was that there was not enough long-term commitment by anybody who was involved with this team. And those are the three reasons why this experiment ultimately failed. So what we're going to do now is we're going to break down each of these reasons and look at what caused the downfall of the Seattle Pilots, who lasted for only one season in Major League Baseball. Let's look at problem number one, the Seattle Pilots being a victim of politics. So we've explained so far that we had this ownership group in Seattle, that they had put together a package to be able to attract the MLB, to give them an expansion team that was granted, and they're supposed to come in in 1971. But they were supposed to come in with another team. 
this expansion team for Kansas City because baseball liked to introduce teams in even numbers. That way, if there was one added in the American League, you would see one added in the National League, and that would keep balance with the amount of teams that were in the league. Well, this all started to go wrong because of that other team that was supposed to enter with Seattle. You see, in 1955, if we're going back, step back in time with me, the Philadelphia Athletics moved to Kansas City, and they spent 12 years in Kansas City, 1955 to 1967. But when 1967 rolled around, the Athletics decided to move to another city. Like we said, they briefly looked at Seattle as a destination, but they ultimately decided on moving the team to Oakland. Now, there is a senator from Missouri. Once this occurred in 1967, his name was Stuart Symington. He was upset, incredibly frustrated that his hometown, Kansas City, had lost a major league team. And he used his political power to apply immense pressure on Major League Baseball to get a Major League Baseball team back in the city. If the athletics are leaving, we need an expansion club in Kansas City yesterday. So the initial agreement that Major League Baseball made under this pressure was, okay, we have a group in Seattle interested. We're going to have Kansas City start a team in 1971, and we're going to have Seattle start a team in 1971. Everything was planned around this initial agreement. But this was not good enough for Senator Symington. No, he wanted this to happen sooner. It was unacceptable in his mind for four seasons to go by without a major league team from Kansas City. So he used all the levers available to him, applied immense pressure on officials from Major League Baseball. I'm sure some money was exchanged in back rooms. So what he did was he asked the American League, and I I use the term ask very lightly, to find another way to get a team in Kansas City before 1971. So the MLB ultimately made the decision to move up the expansion team rollout to 1969. So all of a sudden, instead of just two teams entering in 1969, because remember, the plan was for the Montreal Expos and the San Diego Padres to come out in 1969, and then in 1971 for the Seattle and Kansas City clubs to come out. Now, Four teams are going to become uh, live, I guess you could say, uh, to become, uh, you know, to, to start playing in 1969. May, that may not seem like a huge deal. I mean, it's much earlier. It's two years earlier than what was originally agreed upon. Doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it was a absolute disaster for the Seattle group because Seattle had planned everything around a 1971 start time, not a 1969 start date. So everything from Seattle's policy rollouts to their new stadium construction to their fan base marketing, all of that was all of a sudden bumped up by two years and everything had to change because now they did not have the time that they expected to be able to prepare properly to introduce a professional team in Seattle. So that brings us to problem number two that really sunk the Seattle Pilots experiment almost out of the gate. Problem number one we talked about were the powerful politics in play that worked against them. They have their start time moved up by two years. And this caused an incredible amount of stadium chaos. 
Let's look at that because it was a major factor as to why the Seattle Pilots only lasted one season. Right off the bat, we know, as we had talked about, that Seattle already had a minor league team that they were very supportive of. And because of this, there was already some hesitation about making this move, about bringing a big league club to the city. And a lot of that revolved on the fact that the residents did not want to fund a new stadium. And this had been a problem in Seattle for years prior. In 1960 and 1966, there were proposals that were put out to the voters of Seattle to fund a new domed stadium. And both of those were even for their local Seattle Rainiers team to use. But there was pushback because they didn't feel that this was something they wanted to take on financially. And so the voters were very, very against any sort of new stadium coming in. So the MLB, as part of their support of trying to build up uh, interest in this new expansion team that was rolling out, they sent a uh, a lineup of stars to try and sway public opinion. They sent Mickey Mantle. They sent Jimmy Pearsall. They sent Carl Yastrzemski all to the Emerald City to make public appearances and make speeches to gr- try to get people excited about the fact that you have a new expansion team proposal. Will you support a new stadium for them as well? Well, it seemed to work because in 1968, Seattle voters did approve a $40 million bond measure That's a proposed spending of public tax dollars to pay for a new dome stadium for this new MLB expansion team. Now, the original plan was to build the structure in King County, and that was going to happen immediately, and it was going to be done by 1974. Now, remember, the Seattle team was supposed to unveil in 1971, so there's going to be a three-year gap. So where were they going to play in the meantime? Well, there was the decision that was made that this new Seattle team was going to play in a place called Six Stadium, S-I-C-K, Six Stadium. Six Stadium was actually the facility that was currently being used by the team's AAA club, the Seattle Rainiers. So we see, excuse me, I keep calling them the Rainiers, but I do want to be clear. There were some name changes that happened. They became the Seattle Angels in 1965 because they became the official farm team for this new uh, expansion team that had joined the MLB, but I didn't want to get lost in the weeds on that because I have been referring to them as the Seattle Rainiers, but they are Seattle's minor league club. They played at the stadium. The stadium was old. It was 40 years old by the time 1968 rolled around. Okay, it was built in 1938. It only housed 15,000 fans. So immediately, it's it's not great optics for a new expansion team to come in and play in a broken-down stadium that can only hold 15,000 people while their new stadium was being built. And for those of you that listened to the last uh, installment of this with the Colt 45s, it was the same thing. We had an expansion team that was forced to play in less-than-desirable stadium conditions while their new stadium was being built. Seattle did not learn the lesson there from the Colt 45s. So this is the plan. While the new stadium's being built, for those first three years, Seattle would play in this eh, broken-down stadium, or at least we'll call it age stadium. But to try and make it a little bit better, the ownership group agreed to add another uh, excuse me, uh, 10,000 seats to the stadium by building some makeshift stands and by adding a new scoreboard. 
So it sounds nice, right? I mean, they're, they're going to try and give it a facelift just for the first three years. But remember, everything revolves around the fact that 1971 was going to be the inaugural season for this Seattle club, not 1969, which, remember, was the new date that was moved up because of the tantrum from our Missouri senator who wanted to see his Kansas City franchise get there sooner. So all of a sudden, the Seattle ownership group realizes, oh, man, we have two less years to get this old stadium ready to go. What do we do? So what happened was we saw construction get sped up a lot because now all of a sudden they have to get it done quicker. And they had to move so quickly that by the time the 1969 season rolled around, construction updates were still happening on the stadium right up to game time, right up to the first home game. And even during the game, there were final construction uh, moves being done on some seating and on the scoreboard that was being used for the stadium. So that two-year bump up really caused a lot of problems in terms of the the stadium situation. So why is this important? Why is this a major reason why the Seattle Pilots didn't work? Well, number one, we had a lot of issues with a new stadium in terms of being approved. So we saw that this new Seattle expansion team, yes, it was agreed upon, but it took them a lot of resources. It took them a lot of convincing to even get the plans for a new stadium in place. And then on top of that, the older stadium that was going to house the team all of a sudden had to be ready to go two years quicker. And so fans are showing up in 1969 to a stadium that is less than desirable. And it's just playing in an old renovated stadium. It didn't do much to excite the fan base about this new MLB club. So that's reason number two, why the Seattle pilots really failed to take off beginning in their 1969 season. Now, before we get into the third reason, Let's take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. Stay with me because we have a lot more to talk about. Hey, everybody, it's Jeff, the founder and host of the show, and I have some exciting news for you. In addition to the baseball history podcast you know and love, I'm launching a weekly email newsletter. In it, you'll find a link to each new episode, along with curated baseball history news, stories, polls, and more. It's completely free, and it's a simple way to enjoy the Rounders show that you love even more. And for those of you who would like to support the show as a subscriber, you can easily become a member by signing up using the link in each newsletter. For just $5 a month, I'll send you a weekly email with bonus episode content, including our newest show, This Week in Baseball History, where we take a look at the major stories that happened throughout baseball's past and how they relate to America's pastime today. As members, you'll also have opportunities to vote on future episode topics and participate in exclusive events, such as the Rounders Fantasy Baseball League. If you'd like to send me a small token of your appreciation just once a year, we have an annual plan that will save you money over the monthly fee. And if you really enjoy the show and you want to send me a more significant contribution, I've created a Rounders Starting Nine tier for an annual payment of $100. You'll have my eternal gratitude and have your name included in the episode credits as a show producer. In addition, you'll get to choose the topic for one episode each year, and you'll get a free Rounders Starting Nine member t-shirt. 
Most importantly, you'll continue helping me grow this show. I'm grateful for your support and I look forward to sharing more of the best stories from baseball history with you in the future. Click the link in the show notes to sign up for the email newsletter today or go to rounders.substack.com. That's rounders.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for sticking with me. Just to recap, we talked about the fact that the Seattle Pilots were a venture that had started off in the 1960s as part of the MLB's expansion, especially to the West Coast. We see an agreed-upon time for them to start in 1971. Everything seemed great, but then everything started to fall apart for this new Seattle expansion team. And we looked at some of the reasons why. Reason number one was that political pressure that we saw where all of a sudden the team had to be unveiled two years earlier than planned from 1971 to 1969, and how that threw all of the planning out of whack for introducing this new team. We saw that there were issues with stadium approvals for their new stadium and where they were going to play in the meantime, and how that gave the fans a not-so-great place to watch their team play. And that brings us into our third reason. But before we get to the third reason why the Seattle Pilots did not pan out as a franchise, we have to look at that sole season that they were in the MLB. How did the team do? What did the team look like? What did their uniforms look like? Like I said, how did they perform? Let's take a minute here before we move into the final reason to look at the team and how they did. So let's start off with the the visuals of the Seattle Pilots. What did they look like? Let's start with the uniform. The logo for the Seattle Pilots was a baseball and it was inside of a ship's wheel and that that ball with the ship's wheel around it had wings. Why would they choose this imagery? Well, obviously the baseball is self-explanatory. But the ship's wheel, what's that about? That was actually inspired by one of the principal owners of the group. Remember President Dewey Soriano, the team president? He was a harbor captain in his early years. And part of the reason they chose the the ship's wheel was because of his background in that area. So that was based on his uh, interest and, and previous job experience. And then the wings that were attached to the ship's wheel and the baseball were tied into Seattle's very long history with the aviation industry. We know that both Boeing and Lockheed Martin had major presences in the city for several years. Aviation is very much tied into the identity of Seattle. And so that obviously was a play to try and uh, identify with what the residents held dear. So that was the logo for the Seattle Pilots. Let's look at their uniforms. What did they look like? Well, the home uniforms were white button-down jerseys. The player's number was on the right chest, and the pilot's logo was on the left side. And the uniform had blue and yellow stripes on the ends of their sleeves. Very sharp-looking outfit. For their road uniforms, they used kind of a dusty blue color, and there was a yellow Seattle across the chest. That's what their away uniforms look like. For their hats, I think the Seattle pilot's hats... Uh, design is one of the best that I've ever seen in terms of MLB design. And I would encourage you to either watch the show on YouTube or to look it up so you can see what I'm talking about. But both road and home uniforms use the same hat. And that hat was a darker blue. It had these unique gold wings on the brim of the hat and a big S on the cap front. Looks really sharp. So that's what the uniforms looked like for the Seattle Pilots. 
Let's look at that lone season that they played in the MLB. What happened? So we know they're playing, like we said, at Six Stadium, which is under construction right up to the first game. Even the scoreboard wasn't working properly until halfway through. It wasn't a great you know, sign of things to come. And another thing that happened before the season even started that you could certainly uh, take a look at and say that, well, I guess that was a sign of things to come. The team had obviously gone through an expansion draft. They had made selections, and they had also drafted a rookie named Lou Pinella. For my Seattle listeners and and for baseball uh, aficionados, you'll know that name immediately. But this rookie, Lou Pinella, was chosen by the Seattle Pilots. But they traded him before the season even started. They traded him to the Kansas City Expansion Club. And Lou Pinella went on to be the American League Rookie of the Year that season. He hit 282. He had 11 home runs and 68 RBI. So before the season even started, Seattle was making bad personnel decisions. Now, outside of that, once the season started, the Pilots did okay. They got their first win on April 8th, 1969. They beat the California Angels 4-3. to The first half of the season, it was, it was pretty good, right? Um, one of the things I wanted to highlight was that on their home opener at Six Stadium, they actually uh, won 7-0 over the Chicago White Sox. And Gary Bell, who pitched for them, he threw a complete game shutout. You couldn't ask for a better start to your franchise's history, right? And they stayed within reasonable striking distance for the first half of the season. They compiled a, uh, close to a 500 record for the first half of the season for the first three months or so. By the time they got to late June, they were only about six games back in the division. So there was some cause for hope for the people that actually showed up to the games. We'll talk about that in a bit. But the month of July was absolutely horrible for the Seattle Pilots. They went 9 and 20 throughout the month. And then they followed that up in August by going 6 and 22. So those two months put together were just they dashed any hopes of any sort of contention in making it to the playoffs. They finished 34 and 47 at home and 30 and 51 on the road. So their overall record for their lone season in Major League Baseball was 64 and 98. That was good enough for last place in the American League West. And that was the first year that the MLB actually used divisions. Complete side note, but just throwing it in there for those of you who like little tidbits. So that was the lone season for the Pilots. Not great. Let's take a look at the notable players that played that sole season in Seattle. Well, some names that you may recognize who certainly had good seasons. Don Mincher was the first pick in the expansion draft for the Pilots, and he did not disappoint. He hit 25 home runs, and he was actually named to the All-Star team in 1969. He was named as a reserve to replace Mike Keegan, who had gotten injured. Then we had Mike Keegan, like we said, who had been selected. He was uh, named the uh, regular American League All-Star to represent the Pilots, and he had a great season. He hit 292. He had a 427 on base percentage. Had a great season for them. So Mincher and Hegan, we had Tommy Harper, who played for the Pilots that season. He actually led the American League in stolen bases. He stole 73 bags that year. Again, not bad. And then we had Diego Segui, who also played for the Pilots. He was one of the top relievers in baseball that season. He compiled a 12-6 and record, and he had a 3.35 ERA. So those are four notable names that spent their first and only season in Seattle, and moved on to do great things as well with other teams. 
but those are certainly uh, the main names that jump out on the roster. So that was the Seattle Pilots in a nutshell, in terms of what they looked like, what their season was like in that lone one, one and done existence for the MLB in 1969. And then those are some of the players that donned the uniform. So let's go back to the problems that caused the Seattle Pilots to only last for one season. Again, just to recap, one of the biggest problems was the politics that were played before the season even started that caused their their uh, launch date to move up from 1971 to 1969. That screwed everything up, everything. Those politics that really caused them to not start off on the right foot. Reason number two, we talked about the stadium issues, building the new stadium, finding a place for them to play in the meantime, and how that didn't help with fan reception. And this all leads into problem number three, the main reason, I think, why the Seattle Pilots did not last. And that was the fact that there was simply no long-term commitment by anybody to see this thing work. So we know that they didn't have a good season to start things off. There was a losing team. There was an outdated stadium that they were playing in. They were going to have to do that for two more years while their new stadium was being built. People were not showing up. For that first season, they averaged just a little over 8,000 fans a game. Not good. So that's about half of the capacity of this already kind of poorly expanded version of Six Stadium. And public perception was low. Public support was low. And this caused a lot of uh, people who were involved with the club to start to get cold feet that uh, maybe right out the gate we screwed this up. Maybe we need to... Uh, Killed us in the crib, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Maybe we need to get rid of this this uh, experiment before it gets even worse. One of the main things that caused this really to go downhill, in addition to the low attendance and poor play of the team in the first season, was that, remember, we talked about William Daly at the beginning, the, the main financier of all of this, the chairman of the board of the organization that owned the club? He was watching this unfold in 1969 and about halfway through the season got cold feet and said, what have I just invested in? And he withdrew his support for the pilots and resigned from his chair position with the organization. So all of a sudden, fearing financial downfall, you have your main bankroll for this, leave the organization. And all of a sudden, our two brothers that we had talked about from the beginning, remember them? Our two guys there, can't forget their names, that's for sure. We had William Daly, and we had Max Dewey, and we had William, uh, William Dewey. So William and Max Dewey, both of them, <laughs> they're stuck holding the bag, for lack of a better term, unfortunately. And they don't have the capital to be able to keep this going. So they are in a severe financial state. Their main financier is gone. William Daly actually was suffering from some health issues when he pulled out in 1969. He actually died two years later in 1971 from uh, complications with a long-term illness. So he didn't last longer, much longer past him withdrawing from the, from the club anyways. But so <clears throat> we have little interest in the club. We have financial issues crop up immediately in the first season. We have the MLB itself not showing a lot of public support for this team to work out long-term. The American League's president, Joe Cronin, he had been hinting behind closed doors that he wanted to move the pilots out of Seattle because he felt it wasn't a good fit. In their first season, he's automatically going around and doing this. So we don't even have support from Major League Baseball itself from the decision makers to see this through. 
And then just to compile everything through, like we talked about the low attendance numbers, we talked about the poor play. We have one of the main financiers backing out. The Mariners, excuse me, the Mariners, <laughs> the Seattle Pilots couldn't find any partner, any local broadcasting station to televise their games. And remember, this was becoming more and more of a financial uh, dependency for major league clubs, these TV deals. And so that additional source of revenue, they couldn't secure. And so that didn't help an already worsening financial situation for the Seattle Pilots. So all of these things tied together, and it led, unfortunately, the Soriano brothers to declare bankruptcy at the end of one season. At the end of that 1969 season, the team is essentially dead in the water. So what happened to the Seattle Pilots? Well, as mentioned, we know that Soriano's group was massively in debt. They declared bankruptcy. They had lost their primary bankroller. So a gentleman named Bud Selig, a very successful Milwaukee businessman, approached them and said, I will buy your franchise for $10.8 million. Yeah. And so the Soriano brothers quickly agreed to that. And Bud Selig moved the Seattle Pilots out of Seattle after one season and established a new franchise in Milwaukee. Yes, the Milwaukee Brewers. The club moved out of Seattle just seven days short of exactly one year in Seattle. So they didn't even last a full calendar year in the city. Instead, packed up their bags, moved to Milwaukee, and that was the beginning of the Milwaukee Brewers. So, that was the fate of the Seattle Pilots. What happened in terms of getting another club into Seattle? It was such a disaster. There must have been a long road back, right, to the Seattle Mariners, which we saw later. And yes, it did not go well, and it took a lot of healing and a lot of uh, fighting along the way to be able to open up the door again for Seattle to get a new franchise to replace this disaster that occurred. Let's walk through that real quick. So Seattle mayor at the time, Wes Ullman, he was so upset that the team left after one season that he threatened to sue Major League Baseball if the pilots ended up leaving. Well, of course, we know that the MLB wanted them out anyways. So as soon as the ink was dry on the deal that sent the pilots to Milwaukee, there were legal proceedings that immediately went into play. And really the main issue came down to for the city of Seattle was that approved stadium that they had agreed to and had started building and all of the money that they had lost, the potential funds from agreeing to establish this team and to host them at six stadium and all the money they put into fixing up the stadium. So there was a court case that was opened, the state of Washington versus the American League actual court case. It was scheduled to begin in 1974. It was delayed until 1976. Remember, the team's out of there after 1969. So this court proceeding went on well after the team was out of the state. What did the city of Seattle want out of this court case? They wanted the American League to reimburse them for the money that they spent on expanding Six Stadium. And they also wanted a, a lump sum that would cover the rent that they would have gotten if the team had continued playing there. They spent all that money assuming a team would stay there for several years, not one year. They wanted to be compensated for that lost revenue. They also wanted additional payments for all the potential revenue loss that they would have gotten from the new stadium that they had already broken ground on, the Kingsdome. 
So all that money that had already spent on construction, all the potential funds that would have gone into the city once this new stadium was built, they wanted some uh, something back from the MLB for putting them through this. Well, three days into the trial, the American League knew that they needed, this was a public relations nightmare, they knew they needed to do something. So they went back to Seattle and said, hey, we're sorry about this whole uh, Pilots fiasco. What if we give you a new expansion team? What do you think of that? Hmm? We'll, we'll bring a new team in, even though you lost the Pilots, and we'll make sure we do it right this time. Well, Seattle initially said, no, we want the money. We, we don't want to do business with you. Look what you just did to us. So this court case dragged on for another six years, ladies and gentlemen, okay? 1976 to 1982 in court, the city of Seattle was fighting with Major League Baseball. And after six years, after lots of money was spent on both sides, the city of Seattle agreed after six years to go back to the original proposal and said, all right. We'll forego any monetary uh, compensation if you agree to give us another expansion team. So that was the outcome of this court case, even though they could have finished, they could have fixed this three days in. But after six years, that was the agreement. So Major League Baseball said, OK, we'll, we'll give you another expansion club. And in 1977, we saw the Seattle Mariners take shape. And this time. The team did not start until there was a completed new stadium in Seattle. So on April 6, 1977, we saw the Seattle Mariners host the California Angels at the newly completed Kings Dome, and they <laughs> lost their first home opener 7 to nothing. So the Seattle Mariners, who lost 7 to nothing, were the mirror image of the Seattle Pilots, who won their home opener 7 to nothing. Interesting parallel, huh? Also, the starting pitcher for the Mariners in that game was Diego Segui, one of the top players for the Seattle Pilots back in 1969. He was chosen in the expansion draft to play for the Seattle Mariners. So he went back to Seattle. He got to play for both iterations of the franchise. He was that starting pitcher in that inaugural game. And in 1977, just to show you the, the interesting parallels here between the two Seattle clubs, that first inaugural season for the Mariners in 1977, they finished 64 and 98. And that was the same record as the Pilots finished with in 1969. It's an interesting parallel. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There was a tough road back for baseball in Seattle, but it did happen. And we still see some remnants of the Seattle Pilots in baseball today. Let me explain. The 2019 Seattle Mariners decided to do an homage to the former uh, franchise that came before them, and they wore a rendition of the Pilots uniform for their 50-year anniversary. And I will make sure to include a link to that in the show notes if you'd like to read the story and see the throwback uniforms that were used. We see that some of the remnants of the Pilots are in the players that came back. So we mentioned Diego Segui. We know that their first draft pick was Lou Pinella, the Seattle Pilots. And for those of you who know Seattle baseball, Lou Pinella, certainly one of the most, if not the most popular manager to ever don the jacket for the team. He managed the Seattle Mariners for 10 years, from 1993 to 2002, and had a 542 winning percentage. So he started his career in Seattle, never played a game for the Pilots, but he managed the club for a decade. Impressive. We see the current Milwaukee Brewers. They actually kept some design elements 
from the Seattle Pilots after they moved. If you look at the team's uh, arm sleeves, you'll notice that there's still blue and yellow around the bottom, same colors that were used by the Seattle Pilots. We also see that the lettering is the same. The Pilots, the, the font style that they used is the same that's being used by the Milwaukee Brewers now. So everything that you see, there, there is some similarities there. The colors, the text, the appearance, even though the name changed, there were some design elements that stayed after the Pilots moved. So overall, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the pilots certainly influenced um, a lot in terms of where baseball was going in the West Coast. We see that the Mariners probably would never have come to exist if the Seattle pilots had never come into existence. In, in, in a weird roundabout way, <laughs> the Seattle pilots story brought baseball to Milwaukee and it brought it back to Seattle with a very nice new stadium, which was the King's Dome, which of course, you know, has moved on in history. But there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the one season wonders, the Seattle pilots, a story of just a team that did not get the support it needed to succeed by its parent organization through very little fault of their own. I would say that the Seattle pilots did not succeed and it would be interesting to see what would have happened if they had stayed, but I'm thankful that we have the Mariners too. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Rounders, a history of baseball in America. Remember, you can submit questions to me. We do a monthly mailbag that's actually coming up here at the end of the month. You can send me questions on social media. You can email me at rounderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can send me a voicemail. If you look right in the description, you'll see a link to leave me a voicemail. I will feature it on a future episode if you want to ask me. If you like the show and you don't want to sign up as a monthly member, you can leave me a one-time tip. All the money you send me goes right back into growing the show. And if you would like to see the show grow, if you want access to our bonus show this week in baseball history, you can sign up as a monthly supporter also by using the link in the description. Help support independent sports media. That's what this is all about. You want to, we want to work together to kind of stick it to those out-of-touch corporate sports monopolies and bring back the love of the game to you and me. Overall, folks, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to have you with me to talk more baseball. And remember, as we always say at the end of each episode, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. 